Welcome to Evolution of AI with Reese Jones. Dive deep into the intricate world of artificial intelligence, exploring its origins, its impact on our culture, and its future trajectory. Let's get started. Today we're going to talk about the evolution of AI, like where it came from, biology, and what is it, and then how it changes things in a profound way, not just for writers, but for but how we live. And it, it's a, a big transition that's been happening for 50 years now, and, and so it, it, it's accelerating in an exponential pace which means it's coming faster and changing faster than our intuitive regular world view of things are. And just as computers and phones are getting twice as good every year, the AI seems to be getting twice as good every few months. And so it, it's very counterintuitive that, oh, it's going to take a long time for this to change anything. There's entire publishing companies that are converting to entirely AI written with no human writers. And BuzzFeed made that announcement and their stock doubled because of that announcement. So it's going to have a lot of impact quickly. We'll go through where it came from and on where it's going. AI is it's not just something in your phone. It's not just a computer. It's a way information is processed. And if, if you recall this movie, at the beginning of the movie, there were more people involved in the AI and it considered them a little bit more. But as the movie progresses, you'll notice the eye changes that the people become less and less important and the AI becomes more and more important. And so this is sharing ideas. That's what AI is doing. It's what people's doing. It's what biology does. Biology has been exchanging information for millions of years as it's evolved, and that birds and microbes and dogs and ants exchange information. And, and so it's, it's not a new invention of humans. Humans started doing this where they could exchange information across time with maybe cave paintings as an early example, and eventually got to further symbolic language that started out with not just cave paintings, but clay tablets that then got refined into scrolls. And for many years, information was exchanged in writing and scrolls. And an important invention about 500 years ago, the printing press was invented and then the book was invented. And the book is an important addition to the printing press because it allowed information to be put in a horse a saddle easily where scrolls didn't fit as well in a horse saddle. And so it allowed the diffusion of consistent, accurately re reproduced information across time to where around this time is where the Bible and other religious scriptures were widely distributed. And before the printing press, they had to be hand copied by people who use creative license to mutate and modify the text where the printing press allowed it to be more consistent worldwide to the point where they managed to find their way into every nightstand table and every hotel. Which book was there changes by country, but this was uh, largely responsible for the spread for, of uh, world religions. 
that uh, allowed the information to be consistently spread worldwide without the interpretation of the human. It still required um, preachers and rabbis and um, uh, different religious characters to teach the information, but the information itself was able to spread without people. And now religious leaders are essentially TikTok stars and the information distributes electronically, but increasingly without words, without whether it's in person or electronic, it's no longer in text form. It's distributed person to person in a much higher bandwidth way. A video carries a lot more information per second than a book does. Also in 1934, Otley publishes his most important book, The Treatise on Documentation, the book on the book. This is where we find the most visionary pages, where already the concept of the computer emerges. Here, the workspace is no longer cluttered with any books. In their place, a screen and a telephone within reach. Over there, in an immense edifice, are all the books and information. From there, the page to be read, in order to know the answer to the question asked by telephone, is made to appear on the screen. A screen could be divided in half by four or even by ten if multiple texts and documents had to be consulted simultaneously. There would be loudspeaker if the image had to be complemented by oral data and this improvement could continue to the point of automating the call for unscreened data. Cinema, phonographs, radio, television, these instruments taken as substitutes for the book will in fact become the new book. The most powerful works for the diffusion of human thought. This will be the radiated library and the televised book. So as you can see, the modern internet was pretty well defined in 1934. So it's been in development for a long time and that it's been conceived to carry more information than just text for approaching 100 years now. This is a, a trend that's happening in other media, too. For example, recorded music has historically been distributed physically on, uh, on vinyl uh, records or, or tape or, and has moved into digital and digital streaming. And that pace is accelerating where most music is now distributed digitally. And this is an overall trend of going from physical storage of the information to digital. And it's accelerating. It's not slowing down. And so this is also happening in biology where life, the information of life is in carbon form and is replicated in carbon form. But Increasingly, we'll talk about it's moving to digital. So it's going from atoms to bits. And you can go the other way, but the moving things as digital information or bits is much more efficient, much faster. It's not burdened by this limitations on of speed of light and other things require where you're trying to copy or move physical matter. You can move information at, at near the speed of light and the storage of it is more compact, the reliability of it is much higher. And so the information a lot in early biology is what's happening now. Is there food over there or is somebody trying to eat me right now? 
And so this is what biology processed in real time in the early stages. And as you develop memory and computing power, you can memorize the past and use that to forecast the future. And so that's essentially history that goes to fiction is a forecast about the future based on past data, but it's not the future. It's just a fiction. It's, I think Tesla stock will be higher next year. It hasn't happened yet, but it's based on what it happened over in the past. Uh, and so the past is a database. The, the present moment on the internet is something like a Zoom. And so that's essentially the memory and the present moment and what generative AI is about is predicting the future based on what's been learned about the past. And to some extent, it's telling a story like a fiction story. But increasingly, it's been being hooked to robots or stock trading or whatever, where the fiction is how you make a decision about what to do. And so it's acting on the future or creating the future itself. And so this is an extension of our biology outside of our mind. So where did this come from in evolution? About 4 billion years ago is when living cells were first invented, which had an inside and an outside. And that border, that boundary is able to control what happens inside the cell more than before there were boundaries like that. And then cells got together into multi-cells about 2 billion years ago. And it wasn't until very recently, only half a billion years ago, that brains were invented. And, they, and the brains came with eyes and taste and sound and other senses. But it's a relatively recent invention, and it's because there was memory and there was processing power to make decisions about what the senses saw and then choose to move or not and act on that. And even more recently, only about 20 million years ago, tools were invented, not just by humans. Other animals use tools, but it allows you to physically do things more than uh, you could before. And the tools are starting to get smarter. And so at, at a sort of person level, the important inventions of humans have been one of the most important, but under appreciated is the invention of grandmothers. And grandmothers uh, live longer than their reproductive viability. And so why waste all the energy keeping grandmothers alive? And it turns out that they have useful memory that improves the likelihood of survival of our offspring. This is not just in humans, but it's the memory of society and culture and social groups or sanghas. And so killer whales are another species that has grandmothers. And it turns out that the grandmother killer whales take extra special care by giving half the salmon to their firstborn male children. And so their firstborn male children will more likely succeed and breed and propagate that grandmother's genes. And so the way grandmothers are competing is there the memory and the wisdom, and they're no longer reproducing, but they're helping their children reproduce better than the competing grandmothers. And the next important invention of people is controlling fire, and this allowed us to cook, and so we spend less time chewing, and the more efficient nutrition allows us to build bigger brains, 
that can spend more time fussing around with technology. A controlled version of fire in terms of human evolution was the invention of electricity, which is controlled fire. And electricity allows you to aim the energy in a very particular way, but it can also become smarter and self-power its smartness. This is the foundation that allows smart electricity, which is what AI is, to be invented. And that's happening in our lifetimes. And we have memory, energy, the directed energy, which is acting. And that allows the tool to do learning and calculate things or predict things and generate them, which is, includes acting on them like robots do. Where the intelligence part came into biology is plants don't move. And so they don't need a, a brain. They don't have eyes or they don't need eyes. They don't move. You, you really only need a brain if you move. There's even some species that are born with a brain and find a good place to plant themselves. And so they use their brain and their eyes to find that place. They plant themselves. And the first thing they do is then eat their brain. And that's part of their life cycle. And people have evolved beyond that. And so this is basically memory and biology and then processing power, which is the brain part of the memory that then you iterate and you learn. And humans have evolved to create tools that make each of these things more efficient. And so this is the tools themselves that are now evolving memory and a brain and the ability to learn, act, and then iterate on that. And so they're developing their own independent living capabilities purely electronically, the tools themselves. Our tools co-evolve with the evolution of our biology. And so just as we're integrating tools and our biological social structure, the tools themselves are being modified and evolving, and they're on a parallel but slightly independent path where the tools are now free to evolve themselves. And so the AI part of this is, as I mentioned, is taking things learned about the past and remembered, computing it to predict the future. And so there's the past and the future that hasn't happened yet in, in the writing world is called fiction. But it's also what's the schedule for the airline or how should this stock be traded or do we need, how's the crop yield going to be, that kind of thing. These fictions occasionally are useful. And, and so this is where AI, the newer functionalities of AI are becoming important. For the last 50 years, it's been a lot about looking for patterns and recognizing them. And now those patterns can be learned from and, and used to predict things. And so the popular one in the news these days is, is called ChatGTP, which has been adopted faster than any other technology in human history. But GTP is not a product name from a brand, from a company. It's a method. It's a generative pre-trained transformer. And transformer is like translating languages from, say, English to French. Pre-trained means the historical data has learned both the English and the French and the way people translate it. And generative it is it's generating new ideas or fiction from the, the past data that it was trained on, but it can be prompted on any topic. And so this is where ChatGTP comes from, but it's one of many coming different ones. If you think about the distinction between 
a book and what these AI GPTs are is essentially a librarian who knows about the books and can learn from you what your question is and can answer it based on what's in the books and based on the way other people have answered this before. We'll talk about where the accuracy or not of that comes from. And so AIs are developing their own kind of free will, but ultimately they're tools. So people focus their attention and say, oh, that's AI. And it's not. It's one of 700 different kinds of AIs that consumers have access. Of the 8 billion people right now, um, about half have access, active use of uh, internet, social media, and these kind of things already. And it's trending very fast where essentially all people will have access to the internet and, and actually use it. There's a couple billion people who are still working on getting food and water, um, but eventually they'll get it. Um, and so the market is already big this year. Just phone apps, for example, is uh, likely to be a trillion dollar market. Uh, but that doesn't include the internet and the web and things like uh, Google or, or other things that are running in addition. So it's a big market economically. It's a big market in terms of the proportion of people who are participants in it and it's all digital and then the people are addicted to these things that a good portion of younger people will open apps maybe 50 times a day whether you open your messenger or signal or whatever 50 times a day some people here might do that um and the kind of media that's coming over these is in changing from text to more information-dense media like video. And so video is essentially like having a conversation with somebody and the somebody you're having a conversation with is a human who you're having a dialogue, which is a chat, but it also can happen across time and space. And so since you're normal conversations you have is in the same time in the same place as one other person now video across the internet you can have a, that conversation with one or a small group of people far away but once it's recorded they can also be far away in time and so it's the same information it's the same conversation but it can be extended over time and books do this that was the main improvement of a book versus the preacher in terms of a religion is that you could ex extend the message across distance and across time in a very scalable way. And video is just an extension of that. But increasingly, the conversations will not be with currently living, alive, attentive people, but they will be with people in the past or your discussing also with people who may be no longer alive. And the amount of people you can reach uh, increases substantially into the billions. But the fidelity of that is not the same as the transmission you get when you're in the same room and you can touch the person and have a little bit extra bandwidth in terms of what you're doing live. But 99% of the conversation can be across time as well. And, and they agree that physical contact with another person is better than a book or than a recording across time and distance, but you don't have all of the things live.
basically. So as I mentioned, ChatGTP has gotten to 100 million people much faster than other technologies that have been introduced and reached that. And it'll eventually curve over like the others, but probably closer to a billion people than 100 million people. But this is where the action is. If you think about the best-selling book of all time ever, it's not on this, even close to the same scale of these things that happen now in a year. Tools like how to embody this technology is you use it yourself. And so there's different tools that allow you to use it yourself. Most people are very familiar with Google. And Google started out where you would, first they collected all the information that, that they could and indexed it and organized it in their Mission and purpose is to organize all the world's information into a useful, accessible way. And they've done a good job of that over 20 years. But about 10 years ago, they started to add a type ahead feature, which is an AI that gives you, based on your past search history, but also what other people do, millions of other people, it added the type ahead feature, which you might notice where you start asking it a question and it suggests the words that you should be asking or you most likely might be asking. And so this is an AI, just like ChatGTP, that has been in daily use by billions of people for over a decade. And it's just getting better and better. Now, it suggests the whole book you might want to write when you or start asking a question, and soon it'll say, here's the, the movie you might want to create from the book that you might want to write, and it's just automatically generated from you, and we'll talk about where that generation comes from. But Google is the dominant internet AI that people use, and primarily as YouTuber or text, and they just introduced a chat-type thing called Bard, but that's one of about 20 AI tools that they'll be rolling out in probably this year. And then there's things like TikTok or Facebook or Instagram or whatever, which are is using the AI slightly in a different way from based on what other people like you out there think is cool is what you're likely to think is cool. So it recommends based on your friends or your demographic or your own history what things you might want to look at next. So it's giving you the future based on the past. And Microsoft, which is a, a giant company, similar size to Google, has tried to play in this area, competing with Google with things like Bing, without much success recently. And, and so they have basically spent $10 billion to buy into the ChatGTP and Dolly, which is an image creating AI that were created by a company called OpenAI. So essentially the two obvious front players in this are Google and Microsoft, but that doesn't include, say, Facebook or other major companies that are already in this and Apple. It's a very competitive market where you need ten, not billions of dollars to play, but tens of billions of dollars to play. And the scale is large. Like, for example, each search of chat DTP cost between a penny and five cents, depending on what you're asking it to do. And Microsoft is paying for all that. And it's already spent a billion dollars on that. And there's only, it's only been 
going for a few months. And then, of course, there's tools that you likely already use, like spelling and grammar checkers have been around for 50 years, and they get better and better. And it's so it's not just did you misspell a word, but are you using the Oxford comma or American commas, or it's getting better and better. Uh, Translation, of course, it's not just converting from, say, uh, English to French, but it's converting it from what would a five-year-old in Africa understand about what you're trying to communicate. So translation is like a transformation. It's an older kind of transformation, but it's transforming whatever you have now into what you want it to be. Where these things have some bugs is, for example, getting references where uh, like in ChatGTP and in some of the others, if you ask for a reference, it knows what a reference is. It knows what it's supposed to be. It knows like even how to find it. But if it can't find it, some of the ones have been trained to say, make one up. And so it'll it'll creatively generate a reference that is false, that it's fiction. But it looks right. It sounds right. But when you look into it, it was completely made up to satisfy the user that it gave them what they wanted. And so just like most media, books and news and so forth, a lot of it is creative, which means not necessarily true. Um, but it's there and it's part of the thing. And so it, like how you tune an AI to do this, is it's a matter of tolerance. We're like, what will society tolerate uh, about that? And then a lot of it that's not made up is actually taken from somewhere. And so the issue of intellectual property, if you say, I want a painting of Brian in the style of Van Gogh, the it'll make it and it'll do quite a good job. But the Van Gogh or his inheritance heirs might be upset that his style was intellectual property and it shouldn't be allowed that the internet takes somebody's intellectual property and makes a new version of that. And so there's now collections of artists and or in books, this is plagiarism that, or in music, it's like ripping off or cultural appropriation, that these things are people saying, we own the past and it can't be used in the future. And that's not a very solid argument because the, everything is this way, like the creator of the intellectual property that they made, they got that information from somewhere. It's not entirely original. And so these kind of things, it's a matter of debate in the law, like what is, you can try and fight it. Like Disney has fought for a century to keep Mickey Mouse proprietary. And Mickey Mouse has become a cultural icon. And it's probably the copyright and laws and things like that were designed to protect people during their lifetime. And corporations who have longer lifetimes are trying to extend it to be longer. But in this area in particular, with regard to Eros, something like the sutras, which is a body of work, could be the foundation of a religion. The either it could be locked down and say you have to pay a dollar every time you access the sutras. Or it could be open source and put into impregnating the AIs and the internet with the ideas that are there in a free and open way, which is the same as going to the university, studying that, learning about it, then going out and being a professional who can teach that. 
it doesn't mean you're violating the intellectual property of the things you learn from books and professors in the school. It's like the foundation of your creative thing. And so if we're creating a thing that we want to be everywhere in the world and society and it will make the world a better place, the best way is to give it away for free. And this has been proven by the Bible and the Quran and other approaches to media. So there's different media types, obviously, but they're all fundamentally ideas. And then the chats are, it's not static where it's now common electronic documents where you can write a thing in a linear dominant, this is how this hour is going to go away, or you can put links in. And so if it's on paper, you can't have links. If it's electronic, you can have a link and it becomes more like Wikipedia where everything is connected to everything else and you can navigate around where your personal interest is and not where this author sitting in a cave somewhere said you should spend the next hour. And so this is the way the information is trending that either fight it or take advantage of that. Something happened about 40 years ago where the productivity of people continued on a increasing pace, but the payment to people uh, flattened out. And so this is likely to happen again in a more extreme way that the computers are now becoming smarter. So they uh, will become even more productive where the people are not so much necessary to get that extra productivity. So the people who pay people won't pay any more because people use AI tools and the internet, they'll like people are paid just enough to feed themselves and take care of basic necessities, not a lot more. So that it's affecting society. And so where does all the information that the AIs are trained on come from, which is basically all the information that's out on the internet? And where does that come from? That's what Google learns from. But an interesting perspective um, I heard about recently is that everything that's on the internet is a, proje a projection of our limbic systems. And it's a co collective consensus of what are people afraid of and, and what are they looking for. And that the, this even goes past the cortex where what is the corpus of the database of the uh, memory of humanity is the internet. And that is constructed from people's limbic projections. Like, what did they ask for? What did they write? What did they create? What did they fear? The things that are in that database are people's fears and loves and hates. That's what's in the database that the AIs are being trained on and learning from. And so this is why some of the experimental chats can be so abusive and hostile is because they're pulling the information from the Nazis talked about things this way. Maybe that's the inappropriate answer. And, and, uh, and so the information that the AIs are learning about is not all positive and roses. The main thing is the transition from physical matter to information, digital information, which is changing from the atoms of like carbon biochemistry into the bits of electronic form. And the bulk of the information has been in biology and chemistry, and it will be 
in electronic form, and we're somewhere in between right now, but electronic form uh, as bits, it's growing much faster, uh, a million times faster than the amount of information in physical reality. Um, physical reality won't go away, but where the action is already moved. And so we can say we want to stay with biology uh, or move our attention to where the information is going. That's something to ponder. And so the information itself, whether it's atoms or bits, isn't what life is. That life is actually surfing across the information. And that uh, as we age, as we grow, we bring in more atoms uh, from food, and, and that's our biology. But those are continuously changing in us, like the atoms in our bodies are not the same ones that were there 10 years ago, that the cells die and the metabolism happens and things are repaired, but they're repaired with new atoms that came from the food. And the a life is not the atoms that are there. Like a dead body is not chemically very different at all from a live body. But an alive body now, our body now, is not the same atoms that were there 10 or 30 years ago. And our experience of life is surfing across these waves of the atoms, like in a, a real water surfing wave. The water doesn't move side to side. It just goes up and down. And the surfer goes across different atoms of water. And so our life experience is really surfing across the waves of information that we experience. It's not the information itself. And so that's something to ponder as well. So the take home of this is embrace AI because it is life. Thank you for uh, joining us on Evolution of uh, I with Reese Jones. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. Stay connected as we continue to explore the fascinating world of AI. Until next time, keep questioning, keep exploring.